0: Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. I'm sure Moses had plenty of temptations with lots of shortcuts. And when you wait poorly, just know... It's because you fall into the temptation of the enemy to do something that somehow compromises God's plan for your life. You need to wait patiently, which does not mean passivity, but it does mean that in situations, you know that this is the wrong thing. This is a compromise, and I need not do it. I need to say, I'm not going to do that.
1: Moses was a great leader. But before he crossed the Red Sea, Moses was rejected by his people and waited in the desert for 40 years until God called him back to Egypt. And today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Favares shares an important lesson for us about dealing with rejection from Moses' time as an outcast. We're in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen retells the events in Exodus chapter 2. And now here's Pastor Mike with a conclusion of a message called, The Postponement of Moses.
0: One thing to deal with perspective and rejection, but I want to deal with this second thing, number two, just to look at these verses real quick and to think through this biblically. I want to seek God's comfort in the pain. Take a look at this text, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, start in verse number four. This God who comforts us, Paul says, in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So God has comforted me, and he tells us later in the book, part of it was through Titus. Titus comes and brings comfort. The God right, who comforts the downcast, comforted us with the coming of Titus. So God used Titus, for instance, in Paul's life, encouraged him in the midst of his affliction, and then he says, all of that happened so that I could be good at comforting you. This is a relational thing. This has to happen in context of community. With the comfort, we want to take the things that, that happened and all that, with which we ourselves were comforted by God. He's our focus, obviously. It comes from God, but it comes v- through the vehicle of human beings, God's people. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, and some of you, again, to the extent that you mute your Christianity, the extent that you attenuate your voice for Christ, to the extent that your salt is no longer salty, you no longer are have any salt, you do not, you're not shining, your light is under a bushel, well, then, of course, you don't share in a lot of that. But to the extent that you're being open about your Christianity, the more you share in that suffering of Christ. They rejected Christ. There's pain. There's waiting. There's a cross before the crown. All that's true for us, too. So through Christ, because of our focus on him, because of his comfort to us, we share abundantly in comfort, too. Right? Suffering's part of the Christian life, but comfort is a part of it, too. And I just want to look at that emotional side, that sense of our feelings here. God can bring us comfort. If we're afflicted, and Paul certainly was, he says, I'm seeing it as part of the preparation for me to comfort you. It is for your comfort and for your salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort. I'm just immediately looking for, how did that help me? How can I pass it on? How did that encourage me? How can I encourage others? Which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer? So our hope is unshaken. Why? Because we're community. We're together. We're going to work on each other. Our hope is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, just like we share in Christ's suffering, you will also share in our comfort. You're going to be comforted, for we don't want you to be unaware, brothers. We're not trying to hide it from you. The affliction we experienced in Asia, here he was in missionaries. What were they doing? Same thing Moses was doing. Hey, means of salvation, but they didn't understand the salvation, and instead they persecuted him. They left him for dead. And he says, I'm trying to help, and they didn't take my help as help. I'm doing the right thing. They're acting like it's the wrong thing. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You don't think the Christian life is going to lead you at times to despondency, then you're a new Christian. It's hard. So what do we do? A lot of times we distract, we try to dull, and we isolate. Paul said, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. We're going to look to God as the source. Look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. We thought we were done. And we were given up. But we learned. That was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on that refuge that Psalm 62 talks about, but on God. God who raises the dead. He raises the dead physically, And he raises the dead metaphorically in that he gets you through this. He can bring comfort. And we know later in the book, he says, Titus was the source of that comfort for us. He brought us that encouragement we needed. And God used him. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and our own self-condemnation and despondency and depression. And he will deliver us. There's confidence. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Prayer, specific prayer. Focus on where the hope comes from on God, and community, right, the people of God, God's people as the means by which that is brokered in life. Feeling the pain of waiting? Some of you get really into jams, you won't even call the prayer line of the church, you won't even get on our prayer list, what is wrong with you? I'm serious. What is wrong with you? Why? Why don't you share it? I mean, I've watched other people, i other pastors hide you know, their COVID and stuff like that. I'm like, what are you doing? How dumb. I mean, think about it. I want you to pray for me. When I'm suffering, I want you to stand with me. And, and hopefully by next weekend, if I'm still alive, I, I would love for you to rejoice with me that God has brought me through some of this. I mean, I'm not on a ventilator, obviously, but I'm just saying, this is just an example of, like, when you're in trouble, you need to share it. We need to walk through this together so we can pray specifically, so that we can all rejoice when God brings us through this. If you're despondent, great. And then I'm saying, don't just sit there and go, great, now everyone can care for me. You just take your notebook out, and as soon as you get one nugget of encouragement, you're writing it down to say, I know now I'm equipped to do this in other people's lives. I'm comforted so I can comfort others. Lastly, back to our text, verse 29. He ends up in the desert. At this retort, Moses fled, became an exile in the land of Midian, who became the father of two sons. That's a big thing to stand in this weird place called Midian in the desert when God has equipped you for something and you're benched for 40 years. Not because, because it's not explicit in the text, because you handle the situation with the Israelites wrong, but just because in God's plan, that's what happened. And God said, This is it. Now's not the time. And if God makes you wait, and God brings you into more trials, and you got more bumps, and you got more problems, you got more disappointment, you got more protracted frustration, you got despondency. I'm, I'm saying what you need is the strength to wait well. Waiting is inevitable, waiting well is not inevitable. We've got to focus on how to wait well. And to wait well is to have strength. Right? That's endurance, patient endurance is how it was put there in the passage we looked at in 1 Peter 4. How do you get that strength? You know God wants to give you that strength. I mean, that's what he says in Isaiah 40. What a great passage. Haven't you heard, he says? God's not weary. God's not tired. People get tired. God doesn't get tired. Matter of fact, it's people, even young people, that stumble and they fall and they grow weary. They faint. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. God looks at the weak and he wants to empower them. I want to wait well. How do I do that? One passage, one more text. Turn, Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This line will scare you, but let me give you seven things real quick. Look at verse 6. You want to wait well. You want God's strength. Matter of fact, that's the point if I didn't give it to you. Seek God's strength in the waiting. I want to seek his perspective in the rejection. I want to seek his comfort in the pain, and I'd like to seek his strength in the waiting. How do I do that? Seven ways right here. Ready? Verse 6. First two words, humble yourself. Just write it down verbatim. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. You were brought up in a culture that lied to you about you being able to control stuff you can't control. If your parents were dumb enough to tell you you could do whatever you wanted in your life, I apologize for the folly of your parents. You cannot do whatever you want in life. You can't be whatever you want. You be whatever you want to be. You can't be whatever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. The heights are just limited. How ridiculously (laughs) stupid. That is not true. You couldn't even decide when you were going to be born. You couldn't decide who your parents were. You couldn't decide how tall you are going to be. You're stuck, man. You're just, a, you're just nothing. I mean, that can, that, that can be overstated, I suppose. But you, you have no control. Humble yourself. I mean, 10 years into being a worker for your father-in-law in the desert, Moses could say, I want to go back and deliver the children of Israel. Sorry, you got 30 years to wait. Moses say, I can do whatever I want. You can't do whatever you want. I can do it when I want. I can't do it when you want. God's prepared me for this. It's time. I'm going to do it and seize it, take life. but Moses needed to learn to humble himself. You got to humble yourself. You're not in charge. You have very little power. Nothing, okay, overstatement. You're more than nothing, but not much more. I mean, really, you are so small, so limited. You don't have this autonomy they told you. You, had. you don't have limitless life. You, you are so small. So let's just accept that. Humble yourself. Here's the good news. Here's where Christianity gives you hope non-Christians don't have under the mighty hand of God. That's a good thing. You got a relationship with God. I hope you do. And if you do, great. You got the best alliance in the universe. The creator of the universe who has all power is your friend and you can humble yourself under his hand. There's a concept of sovereignty there. He's got a sovereign plan And and if you're infertile or if you're divorced or your business crashed or you're sick or you're dying or you got cancer, all that under the might, just humble yourself under his mighty hand. He's a powerful God. He is in charge. He is in control. Nothing is out of control. 37 years into the shepherding of Jethro's flock, nothing's out of control. Everything's right on schedule. Everything's fine. Under the mighty hand of God. And the next line is the timing, bottom of verse 6 that at the proper time he may exalt you, the proper time. Is Moses going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Yes. Not going to be perfect, but it's going to happen. But not right now. So you wait for the proper time. doesn't mean you're going to be passive, but it does mean you're going to have to wait, and you're going to know this. I put it down this way. I'm going to remember God's dates are set. Okay. Three things I got. Humble yourself, number two. Affirm God's power. I didn't say that, but number three. I certainly talked about it. Remember, God's dates are set. God is sovereign over the timetable. We want it now. I get that. And there's good things we want. Think about the apostles in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 7. They say, uh, Hey, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I guess that's verse 6. And, and you remember what Jesus said? It is not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has, here's how the ESV translates it, fixed in his own authority. Well, wow, that's a big statement, isn't it? The Father's fixed these dates. These dates are not for you to, I mean, humble yourself, right? Mighty hand of God. God's got a plan, and the dates are all set. When is that going to happen for you? When is God going to fulfill that promise? When is God going to do his thing? In the fixed time. Again, that makes you feel small, welcome to reality. And now I'm going to have to wait. And I'm going to say God's timetable is fixed. You're going to have to wait. So the dates are set. They're fixed. Number four, here's the practical thing. We've already kind of touched on this, 2 Corinthians 1, but it says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, he cares for you. I care, I care about that, I care about you, I care about the agenda, I care about my promises, I care. Just cast those. There's a great Hebrew word in the Old Testament about committing our work to the Lord and it's the Hebrew word to roll. You you feel the weight of it, just take that and roll it onto him. And here it's even stronger, like push it fast, cast it. Here's how I put it in the notes I took. I said it softly here, know you're God's concern. But usually when I pray it, I say, God, I know that I am your problem, right? And all my problems are your problems. I need to know this. I'm God's man. You're God's woman. You are God's problem. You're his servant. You're saying, I hope what Moses said, and that is I'm standing with you. I will bear the reproach. I'm going to stand with you. So you say, I stand with you, and if I'm rejected, if I lose a job, I lose a client, I lose respect, I am not on the cover of any magazines, I get all this ridicule, I have to wait. Those are all your problems because I'm your man and I'm your servant, and so let's just let's let's make it. Take those anxieties and I pray about them, I roll them over. God's concern. Well, this sounds like a great day spring card until verse 8 sober-minded and be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour be sober-minded and watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking now you're just trying to encourage me with my anxieties in verse 7 and now you're telling me you got an enemy that wants to eat you alive how's that help here's how it helps number 5 i put it down this way you should fear the danger of waiting poorly you should fear the danger of waiting poorly when jesus had to wait for the crown To walk through the cross, Satan showed up in Matthew 4 and said, just here, I got a shortcut for you. When he was trusting in God for his next meal, Satan shows up and says, I got a shortcut for you. I'm sure Moses had plenty of temptations with lots of shortcuts. And when you wait poorly, just know it's because you fall into the temptation of the enemy to do something that somehow compromises God's plan for your life. You need to wait patiently, which does not mean Passivity but it does mean that in situations you know that this is the wrong thing. This is a compromise, and I need to not do it. I need to say I'm not going to do that because I know that the enemy would love to destroy my effectiveness. God wanted to prepare Moses to bring those children of Israel out of Egypt, and he could have destroyed that by how he dealt with temptations. And all I'm telling you is you got to fear the danger waiting poorly. Verse 9, as long as we got spanked in verse 8, He says in verse 9, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's kind of a backhanded slap, isn't it? Resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. I mean, today we're looking back in biblical history, and we're saying, look at Moses, and we're seeing that suffering there. And now he's saying in time, contemporaneously, look at people all around the world. In other words, you're not the only one that has trouble. Matter of fact, your troubles may not even be as bad as some people around the world. I was up this morning reading a new book a friend of mine wrote on the persecuted church, and I read uh, two or three chapters of it, and I'm reading about my brothers and sisters in Christ that are preachers in other lands, in India and Southeast Asia and other places, and I'm thinking, wow, i got my own problems, but they're not as bad as those. That's why reading about persecuted church and martyrs, I think, is always helpful. We're studying the first martyr here, Stephen, who's going to die for this testimony, and I'm saying, I don't want to be insulted for my testimony, and I need to see, you know what, my sufferings, I'm not... I'm not alone in this. Now, again, these are my thoughts, COVID sermon prep, but I put it down this way. Number six, you need to not be a spoiled brat. Don't be a spoiled brat because I'm going to walk through the kingdom gates with the guys I read about in this book this morning who are going to look at me and see how I work through the travail of my Christian life. And I'm going to look at how they work through the travail of their Christian life. I'm going to look at the postponement in my life and the pain in my life and the deprivation in my life and the persecution in my life and the criticism in my life and they're going to look at theirs and I'm going to sit here and go, wow, I sure hope I don't walk through this life like a spoiled brat complaining about the magnitude of my pain and my problems. Not to minimize that pain isn't pain. Pain is pain. But knowing that my brothers around the world, I mean, there's a lot of them right now got a lot worse than I do. There are people dying because they are standing up for Christ and I want to know This is nothing new. Moses suffered. Peter suffered. Jesus suffered. My brothers in India are suffering. There's suffering going on. I can stand firm. I'm going to resist the enemy. I'm not going to wait poorly. That's my resolve. It's a hope-filled resolve, verses 10 and 11. Because after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, it's all going to end well, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That picture there, interlacing the eternal glory in Christ and the dominion forever and ever, you, you've got an inner, I say interlacing because little while, I don't think is the little while of the eschaton. In other words, hey, it's all going to work out when the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Yes, all of that's coming. And in that sense, it's a little while, I suppose, because how long until we get there? It seems like a long time, but it's going to happen. You're going to die, and you're going to be in the presence of God if you're a Christian. But I think like Moses, it's not just like you got to wait till you die at 120, Moses, to see this vindication. There's going to be some vindication for Moses in 40 years. It's a little while. It's a long while. It's four decades. But there's going to be vindication, I think, for you along the way. Not ultimate vindication until you see the eternal glory of Christ. Not until you get to the dominion of God that establishes itself forever and ever. But you do know there are seasons of reprieve. There are times of vindication even in this life. There are times of being restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Was Moses restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established? Did we not look at that briefly last week in James chapter five when it says, consider God's dealings with Job, how the Lord is compassionate, how he restored him. That was a terrible book of terrible things that happened. But in time, after all that fog of adversity and all the waiting for the resolution of God to do, what God, he thought, should do? Well, God did it. And it wasn't perfect. But that last chapter of Job, man, it sure was a season of confirmation, restoration, strength, and establishing. I put it down this way, number seven. I need to anticipate tomorrow's strength. I need to anticipate tomorrow's strength. I mean, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's a episodic, cyclical pattern of the Christian life. Paul despaired even of life, but he got through it. Titus showed up, and he got through that. Did he have it again? Sure he did. Yet another season of waiting and protracted pain and the fog of adversity, but God kept doing this. And all I'm saying is, if you're in that season right now, whether it's sickness or illness or whatever it might be, and you say, God, I'm doing the right thing and the right stuff isn't happening as a result of the right thing. It's being treated as the wrong thing and the circumstances look all wrong when I do the right thing. I'm just saying, hang in there. Anticipate tomorrow's strength. Humble yourself, affirm God's power. Remember the dates are set. Know your God's concern, your God's problem. Fear the danger of waiting poorly. Don't be a spoiled brat. Anticipate tomorrow's strength. There were times, I'm sure, that Moses felt like Paul felt like the spirit even of life. I can imagine that. But in that desert, God worked in Moses' heart to not fear the king's edict, but to trust. And he had to have the mechanism of God's help and the equipment of things like I analogize with binoculars and flashlights to be able to say, I got to see this more clearly. The end of Moses' writings in Deuteronomy, he makes a statement, I think, that's got a double focus. It's a statement about the children of Israel coming through the desert, but I think he clearly had to. And if he's not making the connection, we're making the connection of how he spent all that time in the Midian desert. One thing in the Arabian desert there, the children of Israel wandering around, but he had his own desert experience. And here's what he said about it, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Verse 9, he said, You know, God loves his people. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. He loves his people. He found them in a desert land, in the howling waste of the wilderness, right? The sandstorm. He encircled them. He cared for them. He kept them. He protected them as the apple of his eye. Think about that the glossy membrane of your eyeball. You get sand in that, you're going to deal with that. And God says, I I found my people, I love my people, I encircled them, I cared for them, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over her young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them up on his pinions. Yes, the Lord alone guided him, and no foreign God was with him. Yeah, that's true, imperfectly true, of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. They rejected Egypt, stood with God, God cared for them for 40 years in the desert. But before that, there were 40 years for Moses in the desert. And it was the same thing there. God loved him, he cared for him, he protected him, he guided him, and he kept, as Hebrews 11 testifies, that there was no other God for Moses but God. And right now, the gods of the culture, the gods of approval, the gods of applause from people, you've got to just sacrifice those. And say, so I'm gonna stand with God, I'm stand with his truth. I'm gonna be salt, I'm gonna be light, I'm gonna be ambassador, I'm gonna be used by God to advance his kingdom in this age. And may you have a sense of renewed perspective and comfort and strength. In the process,
1: you're listening to Focal Point and a message from Pastor Mike Fabares called "The Postponement of Moses." We're discovering how the ancient stories of men like Moses can help us today. And if you're just joining us now and you want to hear the previous messages, you can find the entire series of gospel lessons from the Old Testament online at focalpointradio.org. You're probably pretty familiar with some of the most well-known stories from the Old Testament, but how well do you really know what these stories mean? There are a lot of popular misconceptions floating around, and sometimes even well-read Christians can get mixed up. So to help you get clarity, Pastor Mike has selected an excellent resource titled The Most Misused Stories in the Bible. Surprising Ways Popular Bible Stories Are Misunderstood by Eric Bargerhoff. Find out the life-changing truths in stories such as David and Goliath, Jonah and the Big Fish, The Woman Caught in Adultery, Gideon and His Fleece, Judas the Betrayer, and more. You can request a copy of this book when you give generously to support Focal Point. And it's easy to give when you call 888 or give online at focalpointradio.org. And don't forget to request your copy of The Most Misused Stories in the Bible. We're glad you've joined us today, and we hope you've benefited from listening to Pastor Mike deliver the truth of the Bible without watering it down. Will you help to keep these messages on the air in your community and across the country? Your support is needed to help us reach a wider audience with biblical teaching that doesn't shy away from difficult truths. To give, just call us at 888 320 or go online to focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Druey, inviting you to join us again tomorrow to listen to the next message from Pastor Mike in our current series called The Provision Through Moses. That's coming up Wednesday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here.
0: Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike or send me a note on facebook.com slash
1: Pastor or twitter.com slash Pastor Mike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.